Sometimes we need to persuade people to take the cure. Welcome to Truth Trek, where we dive deep into the Bible to uncover the treasures there. I'm Pastor Jason Hubdy, and I will be your guide as we journey together into Scripture, God's Holy Word. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Naaman. Naaman was a man in need of a cure, and his story is found in 2 Kings chapter 5, where we're going to be looking in just a moment. And we are going to take a look at a miracle that happens. Uh, that is a great miracle. It's a miracle of healing, and it happens because the person being healed had to take a step of faith. And as we look at the story of Naaman together, I'm going to ask you to think about people in your life who you know that have heard the gospel but have not yet responded. Do you care enough about them to keep asking them, to keep trying to persuade them, to plead with them, to believe the gospel they have heard, in order that they can be saved. So, as we take a look at this story, I think there's a gospel application for us, and a reminder that evangelizing sometimes takes more than one effort. So, let's dive into this together and look at the story of Naaman and his healing. We'll start out by reading the passage from 2 Kings chapter 5 and finding the account of Naaman there. So I will read that starting at chapter 5 verse 1. Again, this is in 2 Kings. And it says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me now, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. 
But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farber, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I want to take a moment to explain some parts of the story, because some listeners uh, are certainly familiar with the story of Naaman. But of course, there are also listeners who may not have heard this story before or read it on their own. And so I would encourage uh, everyone listening that if you have a chance to go and read the story for yourself, make sure that whatever I'm telling you is the truth and that's what's in God's word. Uh, But this story uh, tells us um, of a great miracle, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, uh, was a powerful man, a great man, but he had a skin condition. That's what the word leper means. Uh, Sometimes people take leprosy um, automatically to the worst case. In the scriptures, we find that leper can mean a variety of different things that describe skin conditions. So we can't be perfectly precise on exactly what type of leprosy the man had. And so Naaman is living with this leprosy, and it turns out that Uh, The Syrians, when they had done one of their raids, they had been in a fierce battle at some point, they carried off a little girl. She was a prisoner of war, and this was a common thing at the time when uh, one country was at battle with another. They would often take prisoners of war and turn them into slaves, um, sometimes take them as wives, sometimes uh, do other things with them, but they would become almost like property. And so this little girl had been taken from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So she said to her mistress, that is Naaman's wife, that there's this prophet, he's in my homeland, and he could cure this man of his leprosy. And apparently they believed the girl, and so Naaman goes to tell the king, thus and so the girl said from the land of Israel, And so he is sent. He's sent with a a large amount of money uh, and some other gifts that he brings to the king of Israel. And this letter comes and it says, basically, this letter is to tell you that I've sent you Naaman and so that you can cure him of his leprosy. So the king of Israel reads this. He tears his clothes and he He is very concerned because he thinks this may be a pretense to go to war because he says, how could I possibly cure someone of leprosy? I don't have the power of God to do this. And uh, so he's convinced that this is an effort to cause a quarrel, which probably would lead to another war. Obviously, the king forgot about Elisha, the man of God. But Elisha heard about this situation, and he sends a message to the king and says, Let him come to me, and that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. 
And so Naaman goes to Elijah's house, and Elijah doesn't even come out of the house. Um, and there's a lot of ink that's been spilled over this by commentators. What does that mean? Was he disrespectful? This is a man of high status, and he just sends the messenger out to tell him his message. He doesn't even go out himself. And since that's not really the main point of the story, all we can do is conjecture over that and wonder uh, what the exact reason is there. Um, it could be, though, that Elisha was showing that it's not in his power, it's in God's power, and all he is is a messenger telling the instructions that God is giving to Naaman. And those instructions are that he's to go and wash in the Jordan seven times and have his flesh restored and he would be clean. Another way to put this could be that Naaman is being told that he has to take a step of faith and be obedient to this command. And if he would just do this thing, which is fairly simple, then he would have healing. However, Naaman gets angry about this, and he's frustrated. He, he's frustrated that Elijah didn't come out. He mentions that. It seems he may have been expecting that he should be treated uh, in accordance with his rank, and he says that Elisha should have come out, basically, and stood in front of him and called upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand all over the place um, and cure the leper that way, which is very interesting because we see that a very common thing uh, in the faith healing uh, industry, let's put it that way, that many of these faith healers will uh, do kind of strange things, push people over, uh, wave their coats at them or anything like that. And this is sort of what the guy was expecting. He was expecting that Elijah was going to put on a show for him so that this healing would sort of be like a spectacle. It's very true that people love to have entertaining elements of their religious interactions. And it's important that we remember that sometimes God does move in some amazing ways. Um, but our normal expectation should probably not be that we're going to have some exciting show that we're going to see as God does powerful work among us, because very often God just simply works through his word, and he teaches us through his word, and he brings people to faith through his word. It's more powerful than any show that we could see God's word, and God's word in this case was that Naaman had an opportunity to obey this simple instruction and that he would be healed because of it. And he's also a little bit insulted by the fact that it's the Jordan River. So he says, are not the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned away from Elisha's house and went in a rage. So the man's not in a good state to hear and obey this thing. But the key, I think one of the big keys, at least, in this passage is verse 13. It says, His servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? In the Preacher's Commentary series, Russell Dilday writes, Today, people like Naaman will do anything spectacular to ensure their salvation. They will suffer, build churches, give money, sacrifice privileges. But the simple plan of God 
is for sinners to wash in the blood of Jesus Christ and to receive by faith the eternal life he offers. And because the plan is so simple, many turn away as Naaman did and refuse the greatest of all gifts. A valuable opportunity was offered to Naaman, but he flew into a rage and refused it, an action out of character with the noble qualities by which he is described in verse 1. However, eventually yielding to the gentle persuasion of his servants, Naaman reluctantly agreed to follow Elisha's instructions, and he was healed. Matthew Henry points out in this passage that he would have done anything on painful operation, blistering, cupping, salivating, any of the medical things at the time that someone might try to be healed, he would have gone to great lengths to have healing take place. But he didn't want to submit to so easy a method as this, wash and be clean. Matthew Henry then says, his own servants gave him this reproof and counsel which was no more disparagement to him than that he had intelligence, that is, like military intelligence. He had intelligence of one who could cure him that he got from his wife's maid. Remember the young girl that was taken from Israel? He says, It is a great mercy to have those about us that will be free with us and faithfully tell us our faults and follies, even if they are our inferiors. Masters must be willing to hear reason from their servants. As we should be deaf to the counsel of the ungodly, though given by the greatest and most venerable names, so we should have our ear open to good advice, though brought to us by those who are much below us, no matter who speaks, if the thing be well said. It's a great point that Matthew Henry makes, and a tough one for some of us, because in our pride we do not always want to hear Uh, the advice of people that we think of as below us or less educated or in the structure of power at work or uh, in other places where we have an authority structure and someone below you has good advice. Sometimes it can be hard to listen to that. And so in the end, though, he did listen. He knew his servants had care for him, that they were concerned for his well-being. I'm sure it could have been a factor for him. He had traveled all this way. Uh, It would be pretty embarrassing to go back to the king and give a report that says, well, he told me to dip in the Jordan and I didn't want to do that because it was beneath me or below me or whatever. So many, many factors could have gotten into this, but I believe that in the end, his desire to be well overrode all of his pride. So what do we do with people in our lives that have heard the gospel before? We know that they have heard enough of the truth about Jesus to come to a decision of faith in him. They have heard that they have sinned. They've understood that God is the creator and to him all human beings are accountable. They have understood or at least been told how their sin breaks the relationship with God. That the sin is not only in their nature, but each individual sin as well. All of it is a great offense to God and breaks the relationship with God. They've been made aware of their guilt 
and their shame that they should feel for their sin. They've been told that they can put faith in Jesus Christ because Jesus died on the cross in order to pay the penalty for sinners who would put faith in him. So there's people that have been told all of those things. They've been told the promises that if they put faith in Jesus, their relationship to God will be restored, that their sins will be forgiven, and that they would have eternal life in heaven with Jesus Christ and God the Father in constant communion with them for all of eternity, in perfect harmony and bliss. They've heard all of that, and yet they have not yet put faith in Jesus Christ. What is it that keeps people from obeying the commands of God when the commands of God are very simple and really very easy for us to do in the sense that we don't have to do any heavy lifting? We just need to obey his command. Naaman's command to receive his healing was just wash in the Jordan seven times. You'll come out clean. The sinner whose sickness is their sin and their breakdown of relationship between them and God, they need to do something as well. But it's even less, in a sense, than what Naaman was being told to do. The sinner must do only one thing. Well, two that are combined, in a sense, repent and believe. Uh, they need to put their faith in Jesus Christ, believing that uh, it is true about their sin. They have to agree with God that confession of sins means agreeing with God that it is sin, saying, God, I'm a sinner, that I realize my relationship is broken between you. I have no way to repair that relationship on my own. There's no amount of good works I can do. I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm doing so, and I'm going to turn from my sin and turn towards righteousness. Will you accept me, God? And when a, a sinner does that, really, there's no work involved, right? There's no going down to a river and dip, dipping seven times. Now, believers are commanded to be baptized after they have come to faith in Christ. That's part of what we are to do. But that in itself is not the salvation. We do that out of obedience for Christ and love for him after we're saved. And that is one of the evidences of a believer is that they have been baptized. But what keeps the sinner from getting to that point? Even if the sinner has realized, yes, I'm in trouble with my sin. And yes, I know I'm going to hell if I don't put faith in Jesus Christ, and yet they don't do that. They don't take this step of putting faith in him. Uh, and I believe that it's very similar to what Naaman was very close to doing. Naaman was very close in his pride to not being willing to do what it is that he was being told to do by the man of God, Elisha, who was speaking for God. Naaman came very, very close to not obeying that command. And if he had not obeyed, he would have returned to his king. He would have returned with the leprosy still on him, and he would have been no better off. In fact, he might have been worse off because the king might have said to him, I sent all these gifts with you. I gave you the time off to go. I sent your servants with you, and you wouldn't even do what the man of God asked you to do. I think Naaman actually, if he had come back and not done this, not only would he still have his leprosy, he would have been in big trouble. 
but his servants cared enough to reason with him. They reasoned with him. They said, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? And the thing that would have kept Naaman from following through on that was his pride. And he needed to be reasoned with to lay down his pride and surrender to the will of God and obey the command of God. Isn't that the same thing that keeps sinners from coming to put faith in Christ? There are many reasons why people don't put faith in Christ. They may not believe that that uh, God as creator uh, holds them to account. They may not believe that God will judge sin. They may not believe that his commandments are real or the Bible's real. There's a lot of things that people may say as uh, the reason they don't put faith in Christ. But for the one who realizes there's a problem with my sin, I'm going to be accountable to God and they don't put faith in God. Could it not be that they are being prideful and not willing to do the act of humiliation? It's very humbling to, to lay down uh, your sins before God and to say, I am in great need. I cannot save myself. The proud person says, I still may have some way to save myself. I still may be able to do this. But what I love about this story, among a lot of the parts of the story, is that his servants loved him enough to reason with him. And so it is with believers in Jesus Christ, as we have people all around us who are going to hell, they're going to have eternal conscious torment, the wrath of God that they have heaped upon themselves by their sin throughout an entire lifetime, for all of eternity will be poured out on them, unless they put faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And so is it not worth it for us to take efforts to reason with them so that they may come to Christ? In the end, we may not be able to reason them to that point, but we ought to try. If Naaman would have come back not having dipped himself in the Jordan, it, it would not have been his servant's fault. And if the king had said to those servants and said, why did you not um, reason with him? They could say, we did reason with him. He wouldn't listen. But if they hadn't even reasoned with him and just let him go back, they would be guilty as well. This is actually similar to what God said to Ezekiel. He said to Ezekiel, the prophet, that if you're the watchman. If you if you see that there's danger and you warn people and they don't do what's required of them, then their, their blood is on their own head. But if you neglect to warn them, the blood will be on your head. We have an obligation to people to share the gospel and to reason with them, trying to convince them of why they need to drop down all of their sins and put faith in Jesus Christ. They need to humble themselves and realize they can't restore the relationship with God that they've broken through their sin, except through Jesus Christ. And so we make a plea with them. We try to persuade them. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, 
knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And certainly the record of Paul the Apostle was that he worked hard to persuade people. He would make an argument, make a case, and even plead at times. And the great preachers like George Whitfield pleaded with people. So we plead, we reason, however we can, to try to get people to understand how important it is for them to put faith in Christ. And we do all of that, but in the end, it is God who saves. We're only given the opportunity to be part of his work, which is a great privilege. So as I close down this podcast, I pray that uh, during this next period of time in your life, that you will be thinking about these things, that you will be thinking about your responsibility, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to work to persuade others that they may be cleansed. Many places in scripture we see language like this. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins were like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. And we see a picture of being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We see this imagery again and again of being cleansed from our filth and put on the cloak of righteousness of Christ. And we need to persuade others to believe that as well. And if anyone is listening to this podcast and you have not been at that place where you have put faith in Jesus Christ, or maybe you don't quite understand exactly what I'm talking about, then I ask that you would pray to God and ask him to reveal to you the reality of Jesus Christ and the reality of your need for him. And if you don't have anyone in your life who can guide you that way, because I know there's people all over listening to this. Maybe you don't have someone to guide you. You can even ask God to provide you with someone who would come and teach you. Those are prayers that God will very much love to answer for you. And so take advantage of finding out what you can so that you may have the assurance to know that your eternity is secure. It only can be done through faith in Jesus Christ for all of those who believe in him. I'll be looking for you on our next episode of Truth Trek as we take another exciting adventure together into God. I thank you very much for listening today. And if you found this to be helpful or encouraging, I encourage you to share it with someone who may enjoy joining us. Also, please like and follow the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review if you would like. It sure helps out for us to get visibility and new listeners, and hopefully then others can grow along with us. So thank you very much, and I will see you next time on Truth Trek. 